It is Thursday, September 15th here at Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the weekly preview podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaap. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. We're back here for week two, Jared, running through every single game. And we start with what should be a fun one. Chargers at Kansas City Chiefs on Thursday night. The Chiefs by four in this one. That's up one from where it opened. The over-under is 54. That's up one and a half from a number that already would have been the highest total on the week. And Jared, the Chargers have actually won the last two games that they played in Kansas City. Of course, the first was week 17 of the 2020 season. The Chiefs were resting starters in that one, so we don't really have to count that. But week three of last year was the other one. Obviously, everybody's playing everybody in that game. The Chiefs, of course, won at the Chargers on a Thursday night later last season. So I think the really the only takeaway here is this is a pretty even match of teams. Most likely, it's a new season. Probably a pretty even match of some high-powered offenses. We should expect lots of scoring. All three of those games I just referenced hit at least 54 total points. Yeah, I might end up betting the Chargers plus four here. I'm kind of waiting to see if J.C. Jackson's going to play for them. I think that's a big one. Yeah, I wish they had Keenan Allen, but you know our our Chargers. I might uh, you know put a bit down on them plus four tonight. But you know, I think on the Chargers side, the Keenan Allen injury is the big thing. Um, hurts Justin Herbert a little bit. I think you're still starting him in season long. Obviously, to me. Allen being out turns Josh Palmer into a viable wide receiver three, someone who, you know, if I don't love my wide receiver three, I might be looking to get Palmer in my lineup tonight. You know, again, it should be a high scoring game in the one game Keenan Allen missed last season, Josh Palmer, five catches, 66 yards and a touchdown on seven targets. It was a 22% target share. He ran a pass route on 94% of the drop back. So he was a full-time player and delivered. So, you know, that that's encouraging. Again, I, I'd, I'd be trying to, Get him into lineups tonight if I don't love my, my wide receiver three. Yeah, he is sitting right at 36th in our PPR rankings at wide receiver right now, right ahead of Curtis Samuel. That one would be a little bit tough for me, Palmer versus Samuel. I, I think, I mean, I, I think you could ultimately go either way because neither one is a, this is what I know is going to happen. And we'll get into Washington a bit more um, going forward. But uh, that's a fair range where anybody can win out. And like you said, the key here is that Palmer was basically a fill-in for Keenan Allen last year. There was nothing but positives from how the Chargers talked about him this offseason, so I think we should expect that tonight. You know, Keenan Allen not being there obviously boosts the target upside for everybody, but I do expect that Josh Palmer will be the most directly impacted and get the biggest boost. For sure, yeah. I mean, I'm starting Mike Williams again despite his week one dud. Um, How worried are you about Austin Eckler? Because his usage was down pretty considerably from what we saw Last season, 49% snap rate for Eckler only. I think the most worrisome thing for me, just a 37% route rate for Eckler. And he was only on the field for one of three pass plays. I mean, we need that to be much higher if he's going to you know, deliver on his you know top six, seven ADP. I mean, for, for me, it's something to monitor rather than worry about right now. It'd be different if he was new, if the coaches were new, if there was anything. Like, I don't believe that they're like, well, we're not going to play Austin Eckler as much now because we have Sony Michelle. So <laughs> I'm just going to say that was week one. We'll see where it goes from here, but certainly something to monitor. Yeah, he's still a must start tonight, um, but he you know, if, if he scores tonight and catches, you know, a few balls, but the usage remains at this level, he could be someone that you might want to consider selling high next week. Yeah. And we'll talk about some more guys like that as we go through. I did take the over. I mean, nobody's deciding whether to start Justin Herbert tonight. I took the over on Justin Herbert at 21.95 fantasy points last night on underdog. And I'm glad I did because he was up a half point today. Um, so I feel like that's a, a decent bet. I've got one on the chief side that's feeling riskier. And of course, if anybody listening or watching right now uh, wants to play 
those pickums on underdog. You can get a deposit match up to a hundred bucks by clicking the underdog link in the notes for this podcast, wherever you are consuming it. So come on over, play uh, the pickum games on underdog and make some money with us on the chief side, Jared, CEH scored two touchdowns last week, which is great for anybody that used him or for anybody that has him on the bench going forward. But was it a fluky week one or was it a sign that he's going to actually help us this year? Yeah, it's tough to know exactly because this was a blowout and Everett Zolaire barely played in the fourth quarter. It was almost all Isaiah Pacheco in the fourth quarter. So, I, you know, you can see the snap rates and the route rates in the article I posted yesterday on draft strikes, but I don't think they mean a whole lot because the fact that it was a blowout. Through the first three quarters of this game, though, here, here's how the backfield shook out. It was Everett Zolaire, seven carries and three targets. Jarek McKinnon, three carries and three targets. And Isaiah Pacheco, two carries and zero targets. So you had Everett Zolaire getting about half of the backfield opportunities. I think that's how you project it at this point for now. We'll continue to monitor it. That, that's enough you know, in this offense and especially in this matchup to make Everett Zolaire, you know, I don't know, borderline RB2. Um, but, but don't overrate the two-touchdown game in the opener. It seems like he's probably basically Miles Sanders, but with a bit more of the receiving share and without the quarterback working as a goal lineback. So I mm-hmm. guess Miles Sanders with, you know, uh, with not a huge plus, but Miles Sanders with a with a medium plus. Yeah, I'd rather have CEH than Sanders right now. Um, I think Sanders is a better player. That only means so much, you know, average layer. I agree in a similar role with more pass catching work and, and in a better offense. Now the other bet that I took, cause you got to put at least two down to place a pick them was CEH over 69 and a half total yards in this one. I, I'm wary of the total yards because with it, if you look at any of them, the total yards are always more than the combo of the rushing and the receiving for a running back. So I always figure, you know, you want to bet the rushing or the receiving rather than go for, going for that higher number. But I don't know how it's going to happen for CEH. I blame that on week one because it was just so like, it was a crazy game. I think we all thought that that was going to be more of a shootout than a laugher. So I just think the way that that game flowed makes it tough to know how much it told us about the backfield usage, especially. So I guess I feel better in general about betting on CEH hitting 70 total yards this week than I do about betting that he's going to get more rushing or more receiving than he got in week one. That's fair. We haven't projected for about 75 total yards, so our numbers would agree with you over there. I bet Juju Smith-Schuster over 55 and a half receiving yards as part of a three-leg parlay for tonight's game. Juju looked like he was on his way to a big game last week. He had uh, six catches on eight targets for 79 yards in the first half. And then again, you know, the Chiefs kind of took the, fo- the foot off the pedal, uh, rested some players even in the fourth quarter, and Juju did not catch a ball. It wasn't even targeted in the second half. But I think if that game was closer, you know, he, he probably would have got over 100 yards. So I, I love the over 55 and a half number for Juju tonight. And I think, you know, he is a high-end wide receiver too in, in fantasy lineups this week. I would say that for me, week one did not alter the outlook for Travis Kelsey or Juju, Juju Smith-Schuster. I think the thing to be aware of is that MVS was on the field just as much as Juju in that game and more than Nicole Hardman. Mahomes um, told us, he, he said that the producers are going to differ by week in this offense. It's not going to be, you know, obviously it's going to be Travis Kelsey, but it's not just going to be him and Tyreek Hill every week and then everybody else. So I think it's especially important to note the playing time there. So it could be MVS getting more targets. The other thing is MVS's a dot average depth of target in week one was short of 10 yards. I think it was 8.5. So that is kind of the shorter range guy that we were wondering if he was going to be in Kansas city. 
which is bad for yardage production, but it's better for the likelihood of getting targets, I think. Now we'll see exactly how this develops, but to me, it looks like the Chiefs want to use MBS at least in a similar way to how they did Sammy Watkins, because when he arrived, he was a downfield guy. He had maybe the longest eight out of his career in that one season with the Rams. And then he came to the Chiefs and he was like a short range receiver all of a sudden. So I think we're looking at something like that with probably more target upside for MBS because Tyreek Hill's not around anymore. And I was actually just looking at the numbers for MBS before this. We're projecting over his receptions and yardage for this week versus the numbers on underdog. They're pretty low numbers to begin with three receptions and the yardage is like 45 and a half. So, you know, it's not like we have big numbers for him, but I'll be curious to see what the targets say this week with Juju versus MBS since the playing time was similar in week one. Yeah, the route rates were exactly the same, 80% for each of them. It was actually a 5.5-yard ADOT for MVS. Now, you know, th- these week one ADOT, like that's four targets we're looking at for MVS. So I don't want to put too much stock into that, but we'll definitely see how his role evolves here. The other note, you know, we're all wondering what the Chiefs offense would look like without Tyreek Hill. They used a lot more two and even three tight end set so you know the result of that is just fewer wide receivers on the field so that's why like you know McCall Hardman even as the third wide receiver he only ran around on 60 percent of the pass plays you know that that's really not a number that makes Hardman usable mm-hmm. yeah and it, we'll see if that changes by opponent and by game situation but certainly all things to be aware of beyond just the target counts anybody else from that game worth going over you think uh Harrison Butker out so if he's your kicker make sure to, to get him out of lineups tonight yeah, and they expect to have Matt Amendola as the kicker there. So, you know, in case you have to pick up that specific kicker. Yep. Carolina Panthers at New York Giants to kick off the Sunday slate. Giants by two here. That's up one point from where it opened over under 43 and a half. On the Panthers side, I'm not worried about DJ Moore. Not a great game for him in week one, but I'm not changing my outlook for him. He was on the field for everything. Um, you know, he got out produced on the target and, and uh, yardage front by Robbie Anderson, but I don't think it's an indication that we're going back two years when Robbie Anderson was the surprising target leader ahead of DJ Moore for that Panthers team. Yeah. The the big thing for me from the Panthers week one is they ran just 50 offensive plays. So, you know, all the production was muted. That's like, you know, 20% fewer plays than you'd expect a team to run in in an average game. Now the Panthers did rank fifth in situation neutral pace. So they were you know playing fast. They just couldn't keep the football. They were also first in situation neutral pass rate. And we talked about this in the preseason with Ben McAdoo is their their new OC that he, you know, with the giants did like to play fast and be pass heavy. I don't want the Panthers to be that pass heavy. Like, you know, Christian McCaffrey's their best player. He needs to be the focal point. Um, but, you know, if they're, you know, top 10-ish in pass rate, I think that's good news because obviously McCaffrey's going to do a lot in the passing game. And, you know, that'd be good news for, for DJ Moore. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not, you know, it was an encouraging outing for Robbie Anderson. I'm not too worried about McCaffrey or DJ Moore going forward. Yeah, I agree. I think my takeaway here is that I got the confirmation on Robbie Anderson that I was looking for, that he is going to be a usable fantasy asset this year. I'm not saying definitely start in week two, but I'm also saying that you can start in week two. And one other factor here is that the Giants actually lost their number two cornerback, Aaron Robinson, this week to to an appendectomy. So he's out for at least this game. That's probably good news for Robbie Anderson because Adore Jackson is probably getting primary coverage duty on DJ Moore this week. So that should mean that whoever is not capable of beating out Aaron Robinson, who was bad last year and was not great this summer, is going to be on Robbie Anderson more often. I I hope that this team does stay past leaning. and I don't even care how high it goes because with McCaffrey, you know, it is like the only running back in the league where it's like, I don't care if they throw the ball more because he's their slot receiver. 
Yeah, I mean, th- th- my, my concern is Baker did not look good in week one, and I know it's you know his first game in a new offense. He's only been the, with the team for, what, like a month, so, you know, he he should get better. But, you know, that I, I didn't like how he played in week one. Just one final note on McCaffrey's matchup. Um, the Giants gave up that uh, three-catch, 61-yard, two, uh, 61-yard, two-touchdown receiving game to Dontrell Hilliard in week one. The Giants, you know, through one week only, but they're dead last in football outsiders, running back coverage ranking. So, you know, this hopefully should be a game that the Panthers look to get McCaffrey going in the passing game. And they're bad at linebackers, so the it it tracks. It makes sense that they would be uh, soft in that area. So it's a, it's a good spot to be a Panthers pass catcher on the Giants' offensive side. Saquon Barkley's week one, I think, really overshadowed that this offense was really bad against the Titans. <laughs> otherwise, I mean, Saquon had some big plays. We had a 65-yard touchdown by Sterling Shepard. And other than that, it was just a, an awful offense that I, I don't want to use anybody besides Saquon Barkley in this game. Yeah, I mean, when you play Richie James over Kadarius Tony, your passing game is going to suck. Like, we, we got to hope that changes. Um, I, I'm not starting any Giants receiver. Um, you know, I keep Tony Stash and hope that his playing time climbs. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. It's just Saquon in this game who looked unbelievable, got as good, if not better, usage than we could hope for. Like, Saquon has a chance to lead all running backs in fantasy points this season. Yeah, he overcame a bad offense to just dominate in that game. You know, the Titans are not a good defense, but I mean, how many defenses are defenses that are going to stop a very good player completely? So, and the, Pan- and the Panthers just got the Panthers just got ripped by the the Browns running game last week, so it's another good good spot for Barkley. Mm-hmm. Kadarius Tony for me is neither a must hold nor a must dump at this point because I got questions you know, from plenty of people on that this week. And he's not somebody that I'm just dropping for anything, but he's also not somebody that I'm scared to drop this week. Like I would have dropped him for Curtis Samuel because I don't think that there are big things coming for Kadarius Tony personally. Yeah. Samuel's about where I probably cut off like anything worse than Samuel. I'm not dropping. I mean, Tony got two carries. He looked awesome on both of them. He made like three guys miss on both. Of them. I still fully believe in the talent. It's just, can he, you know, earn the coaching staff's trust and stay healthy. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to stash Tony where I can. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I don't consider him somebody that you must get rid of, but I, I'm not clinging to him. Cause I don't think it's coming. My biggest takeaway for the wide receiver group is Sterling Shepard, you know, made it back into significant usage right away. Did catch the deep touchdown. That's not going to be his game, but He's somebody that I'm going to stash because I think that as Sterling Shepard gets further into the season, his role is going to grow and he's going to be somebody that the coaches like better than Kadarius Tony. So, you know, deeper league. I don't think ultimately the ceiling talent wise is as high on Shepard as it is on Tony, but I would feel better personally about stashing Shepard because I think that he's a better bet to to get and stay heavily involved in this passing game going forward. Yeah, Shepard was already third among Giants receivers and pass routes in this game, you know, coming off the torn Achilles. Shepard and James Robinson look good coming off the torn Achilles. Cam Akers still doesn't look coming off his, so that doesn't, you know, speak well for where Akers is at. Yeah, Wandale Robinson hurt his knee in that game, of course, did not practice Wednesday, so we'll see uh, how long he's out. But obviously, his situation helps any Giants wide receiver that you're looking at right now. Yep, hopefully you're not looking at any of them. Yeah, ideally. New England Patriots at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Patriots by two and a half in this one, which is surprising to me on the road. Um, it's over under 40 points. It's down two and a half from where it started. The Steelers have lost nearly two points off their implied total for this one. It's the fifth lowest 
um, of the week, the fifth lowest team implied total of the week. They're ahead of only the Jets, Cowboys, Texans, and Falcons. I think really, Jared, the biggest takeaway for me here is this is probably not going to be a game that helps out a lot of fantasy teams on either side. Yeah, these teams are 23rd and 26th in Football Outsiders offensive DVOA through the first week of the season. The Patriots offense looked as bad as we expected after, you know, a rough August. Uh, they didn't do anything against Miami. I, the, the one note on the Patriots side is Ty Montgomery was placed on IR this week. So he's out for at least the next four games. He played um, 36% of the offensive snaps in week one, ran a pass route on 31% of the pass plays, um, saw two carries and four targets. So that's like the workload he's leaving behind. I, I don't know who's going to pick it up because all the talk in the summer was Ramondre Stevenson was improving in the passing game and he was ready to do that stuff. Damian Harris ran more pass routes than Ramondre Stevenson did in week one. So I, I think – Montgomery's work might just kind of be split down the middle between both of those backs. Um, no, it, it, you know, at least for week two, I, I still think Harris is the better fantasy play than Stevenson. I agree. And as I look right now, they're both sitting outside the top 27 at running back. So, you know, not having Ty Montgomery makes me think a little bit more about playing either guy, but I would still like to not have to play either of these running backs. Cause I think it's going to be a frustrating situation. And I don't think that this is going to be a big fantasy outing for either player. Agreed. Uh, elsewhere on that offense, like I don't, I don't want to play any Patriots this week if I can help it. It was interesting that Robert Kraft apparently voiced displeasure at Kendrick Bourne's small role in week one. So we'll see whether that makes Kendrick Bourne more of a factor this week. It doesn't put him into consideration for fantasy lineups, but it makes it an even more crowded situation if it does get more playing time for Kendrick Bourne. And then you look at tight end where Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith were pretty much even in playing time in week one. It's just like, Anybody yeah. that you can point to as, well, he's good. I want to get that into my lineup. It's like, yeah, well, there are also 27 other people vying for opportunities. this week. Yeah, I, I did think it was an encouraging week one for Hunter Henry. You know, in that final preseason game, Henry and Johnny Smith split pass routes down the middle. Um, but in week one, Hunter Henry ran a route on 83% of the pass plays. Um, so if that, if that if that continues, he's someone that we can at least consider. I don't love him in this spot. The Steelers have been pretty tough against tight ends um, for a few years now. So not a good matchup for Henry. But he, he's someone that is still, you know, worth rostering as a tight end too and potential spot starter down the line. Yeah, much more of like a, yeah, I guess so, than a, ooh, I'm going to use that guy this week. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Henry needs touchdowns to pay off, and this Patriots offense doesn't project to score many touchdowns right now. By the way, the rushing yardage prop between Damian Harris, uh, Ramondre Stevenson favors Harris by 13 yards heading into this week. So, you know, maybe right. let that be a tiebreaker. If you're still like, oh, I want to trust Stevenson now, it's it's not time to yet, I don't think. Yeah, agreed. Uh, on the Steelers side, Najee Harris, his ankle... Said to be no big deal. He was a limited practice participant Wednesday. I think we should take that as a signal that there's not really a question of whether he plays on Sunday. Obviously, we'll continue to watch. At the same time, I think that Jalen Warren should now be rostered in any leagues of 12-plus teams and probably a lot of 10-team leagues because already we're one game into the season and we've had a list Frank injury and an ankle injury for Najee Harris. Well, So Harris's injury was originally announced as an ankle, but not, now it's foot and the injury report. So it seems to me like it's an aggravation of that list, Frank. I don't know that for sure. Um, but yeah, either way, you know, two injuries within the span of a month. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm worried about Najee. This Steelers O-line, you know, Najee, 2.3 yards per carry in the opener. The Steelers O-line was as bad as we thought it was going to be. They are currently 25th in PFF run blocking grade, 28th in adjusted line yards. So, um, yeah, Warren should be rostered. Like, I'm not super excited about his, his you know, fantasy value, even if he does get in there. But, you know, 
he, he would be getting the volume at least. So that, that would make him an option if Harris does miss time. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do have Harris, you know, it's not a must that you add Warren behind Harris because we don't know what Jalen Warren would look like as an NFL starter. Yeah. What I would be strongly considering is the next time that Najee Harris has a big fantasy game, trying really hard to trade him. Yep. I'm with you there. Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, George Pickens. If you look at the target counts in week one, it looks like Deontay Johnson dominated things, but they were all nearly identical in route rates. So I'm not saying expect them all to be even producers going forward, but don't ignore Chase Claypool and George Pickens based on the target separation among the three receivers in week one. Yeah, well, Claypool's interesting. I mean, he got the six targets. He also had six carries. Um, <laughs> next Debo, we were all wondering. <laughs> Here's the next Debo for you. I remember, remember Claypool's rookie year. He scored like three or four rushing touchdowns. Um, and you know, again, I mean, that's all design stuff. Like they were looking to get the ball in his hands. The other interesting thing about Claypool is, and we knew this if you were paying attention in the preseason, but he ran nine or he played ninety percent of his snaps in the slot last week. Um, and he had a 6.5 yard average depth of target. That's like half of what it was his first two NFL seasons. So, you know, he's, he's being used differently. Um, I'm not sure I like it. Cause I think he's at his best working downfield, but you know, it, it will make him more consistent if he's getting, you know, more, more of those short range looks, especially if it's, you know, Trubisky trying to get him the football. Mm-hmm. And of course, I mean, having Trubisky being the one distributing the football <laughs> lowers the ceiling on he, all of them. So yeah, he, he looked bad. I still think we're going to see Pickett, you know, before the, before the midway mark of the season. Yeah, certainly history says that the first round pick's going to be in there at some point. And the way that he played in the preseason should only motivate that further, even for a team that has historically liked to not lean on rookies. It's it's coming. Pat Fryermuth, uh, you had to love the usage for him in week one, 77% yeah. route rate, but also targeted on 39% of his routes. He's ninth in our PPR rankings this week. I would imagine, Jared, that he'll be right around that range weekly going forward. Yeah, if not higher, um, you know, the, the Patriots have been a top eight tight end defense in each of the last three seasons. So the matchup has Frymuth a bit lower. But yeah, super encouraging week one uh, with the route rate, 26% target share. Um, Frymuth's second among tight ends and expected fantasy points in week one. So, um, you know, he, he looks like to be a, a big part of that passing game. And of course, we don't want to overrate the high target count in week one. But yep. if, if you have Frymuth, there's nothing but positive to take away from that. Tampa Bay Buccaneers at New Orleans Saints bucks by two and a half in this one. Cause apparently Vegas didn't watch these two teams play against each other last year over <laughs> under 44 points. I think injuries are important to get to first in this one. Cause it bucks practice included not a whole lot of NFL players on Wednesday. Uh, Mike Evans limited with a calf Julio Jones out with a knee Russell Gage limited with a hamstring. Chris Godwin's likely out for the next few games with his hamstring injury. Leonard Fournette was limited with the hamstring. We don't know how many of these are really significant yet. So we'll watch participation in the next couple of days. I think right now you assume that Mike Evans, Leonard Fournette will be fine to go. They're obvious starters, assuming health Julio. We'll see about him. If, if the knee is anything at all, I would lean away from playing him. Um, But he's also at the point in his career where they could be like, Oh yeah, you can have Wednesday off. We'll see you Thursday. Yes. Um, I, I was excited about Julio this week before he popped up on the injury report because, like you said, Mike or uh, Chris Godwin is out. Russell Gate, you know, Russell Gage was limited all through practices last week, and then he's, you know, he did not practice on Wednesday. So I don't know if he suffered a setback with that hamstring or what. Um, so if, if Julio's healthy, and, and we have the Mike Evans, Marshawn Lattimore matchup, and Lattimore has limited Evans' product, production in, you know, basically all their 
meetings. Um, so that could make whoever else is lining up opposite Evans a bigger part of the passing game this week. Um, but, you know, with, with Tom Brady, with these injuries and in a matchup that he struggled in, you know, really throughout his time with the Bucks, all five meetings, um, he, he's had one big game in five meetings as a buck against the Saints. Otherwise it's been pretty disappointing. Um, so, you know, when you factor in these injuries too, I, I do not think Brady is a must start this week. And that big game, the 375 yarder with four touchdowns at new Orleans last year, I'm assuming that's the one you're referring to that game started with him throwing two picks and losing a fumble and falling way behind and having to have a big passing game for the team to come back. They still ended up losing that game. So even his really good fantasy outing was a bad Tom Brady game. So yeah, he, he has stunk against the saints. He mentioned it after the Sunday night game, when he was doing the post game interview that they've struggled with the saints over the past couple of years. So, I mean, you know, he's motivated to change that this year. I'm just not sure how much that matters. So I agree. I think Tom Brady is like, on that fringe of the top 12, it's certainly not a must start. So specifically here are the guys that I'd be weighing him against this week. I'm playing Matthew Stafford or Trey Lance over him. I'm playing Kirk cousins and Derek Carr over him. I would probably play Tom Brady over Carson Wentz, although Wentz versus Brady is pretty close. And then I would play Brady over Tua, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Aaron Rodgers. Yep. I'm with you there. That's exactly what we have in our rankings. Um, two, two other notes. On the Bucks, um, their left tackle Donovan Smith went down with a hyperextended elbow in Week One. He it sounds like it's something he might be able to play through, but I'm not sure he's going to play on Sunday, which would be a big loss. And then just the Bucks in general, and it, again, it's only one game. It was against a Cowboys offense that could get nothing going. But the Bucks in Week One were 28th in situation neutral pass rate. This was, you know, one of I think they were first or second last year in situation neutral pass rate. So that's worth keeping an eye on, you know, how how much they're going to shift towards the run this season. I would bet that they don't shift that much just because the way that game was going, they were in control. And with all the just even minor dings that they've been dealing with at wide receiver, it makes sense to just kind of move things along slowly. So we'll see. I think we'll probably see a bit more of a run lean than last year's team, but I wouldn't expect that this team's going to swing way toward being a run leaning offense. Yeah, I agree. But you know, even if they're middle of the pack in situation, neutral pass rate, that'd be a pretty big shift. Yeah, definitely worth monitoring. Uh, it's also worth noting the saints look like they might still be without number two corner Paulson, Adebo, who has an ankle injury missed week one. He had a buzzy summer, so he could, you know, alter that uh, pass defense one way or the other if he if he's on the field. And this is also a, a secondary that lost Marcus Williams in free agency. They traded away Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. So we're still waiting to see just how good this defense is versus the version of the past couple of years. This is such a good spot for Julio if he's healthy. <laughs> on the Saints side, Alvin Kamara was limited Wednesday with a rib injury. So we'll see about him heading into the weekend. It's tough though, to bet on a big rushing day for this offense against the bucks though, even if Alvin Kamara is good to go. Yeah. I hope that rib issue was a big factor in Kamara's week one usage. Cause it was worry worrisome uh, nine carries and four targets for Kamara um, ran a pass route on just 40% of the dropbacks. Um, so I'm definitely keeping an eye on that going forward. Um, yeah. This is a tough matchup. Um, even in the even in the passing game, the Bucks limited Kamara last year. He had just five catches for 28 yards in their two meetings. So you know, I'm, he, he'd be tough to bench. Kamara would, uh, but you know, he's he's more like an RB two for me this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. 
Um, I like Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry here around the line, the kind of between wide receiver two, wide receiver three range. The usage was good for both of them in week one. Chris Olave was right with them in route rate. We'll have to see on the targets per route. I think Chris Olave is the kind of player that might stay lower in targets, like, you know, MVS style of usage, but he also has big upside for whatever he does get by virtue of his skill set and this Tampa defense could wind up being flammable deep. I mean, they let one of their starting safeties walk from last year and they actually turned Antoine Winfield Jr. into their slot corner in week one this year. Maybe that's because CD lamb was running primarily in the slot for Dallas. So, you know, we'll see if that was a week one plan or what he's going to do now. But if Mike Edwards and Logan Ryan are the deep guys, you know, most weeks going forward, I would think that that would be an area that you'd want to test, especially if you have Jameis Winston who likes throwing deep and Chris Olave, who's a good deep guy. Yeah. The playing time was definitely encouraging for Olave, which we kind of expect, you know, he saw just a 9% target share, which you don't like. I, I do think he's going to be third in line for targets. I mean, you know, Michael Thomas looked healthy when he's been healthy. He's been a target dominator. Jarvis Landry has earned targets, you know, at above a 20% clip throughout his entire career. And he looks good in week one. So I am concerned about Olave's volume going forward. He is going to be that big play threat. I think it's just going to be tough to know when to be able to count on him. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't be using him this week. He's interesting as a DFS flyer for this particular yes. game, I think. Yep. Um, let's see. So on to the uh, elsewhere on the New Orleans side, I think probably the only other thing really worth addressing, Jared, probably the most surprising thing from week one was Juwan Johnson dominating mm-hmm the tight end playing time. We, that, we saw that in the preseason too. Um, so not a total shock. Um, yeah. You know, he was a popular ad in FFPC leagues last night, you know, the tight end premium. I think that's where he should be owned. I think he's, you know, he's not someone I'm considering yet in, in, you know, standard PPR fantasy leagues, but it was nice usage for Juwan Johnson, 79% route rate. He was 12th among tight ends and expected fantasy points in week one. Um, so we'll, we'll continue to monitor it again with, Thomas and Landry and even Olave and Camaro, like it's, it's tough target competition. Um, but again, Landry or um, John Johnson's usage was kind of, you know, where we want it to be. If he's going to be fantasy relevant. Yeah. 15% target share in week one is certainly a, a level that would be usable going forward in a lot of formats, even beyond tight end premium. Um, Taysom Hill. I feel like <laughs> we can't leave the game without addressing him. There's yeah. so much. Do I grab Taysom Hill this week? And really the answer on him is, I don't know. Like he's different than any other player in the league. So I can't say for sure he's not going to help fantasy teams going forward, but I can say that betting on a tight end who makes, who gets his value with four rushing attempts and one catch is not generally a good bet week to week. Yeah. He played 16 offensive snaps. Um, I I, I don't want to, count on that we'll continue to monitor it and see you know where it goes from here i'm glad i have you know hill shares in best blogs i think he's going to be useful and probably give you you know four or five starting weeks but i'm um, not not as not a lineup setting option for me yet yeah i mean could it work out in a just a regular size league yes it could yeah would i bet on it working out in your favor no i would not i mean i'll say I mean, when you get deep enough down to tight end like looking at our rankings like you know Taysom hill versus Noah Fant or Austin Hooper, like I, I don't mind going with Taysom Hill there because Fant and Hooper don't have big ceilings or floors. So, you know, but, but you know, that, again, that's like tight end 22 and 23 in our rankings. 
Well, here's another specific one that we got from YouTube. Tyler Yentes says uh, David and Joku or Taysom Hill in a half PPR format. So what do you think this week, Jared? That's that's still in Joku for me. We'll, we'll get to him. But his playing time was right where we want it to be in week one. He just didn't get the targets. So that, that's still in Joku pretty easily. And that is the next game on our list. So let's go directly to that. New York Jets at Cleveland Browns. Browns by six and a half in this one. Up one from where it opened. Over under is 40. The Jets have the lowest implied total this week. So we'll talk about the Jets. But let's hit the Browns first. Why don't you tell me about the David and Joku usage? Yeah, so 70% route rate. Um, not elite, but good enough. He, he just got the one target. Um so the, the playing time was there. The concern is this is, you know, it's going to remain a run leaning offense that the Browns were 24th in situation neutral pass rate in week one. And Jacoby Brissett looked awful. Like you got to hope he, he plays a bit better going forward for all these Browns pass catchers. That's including Amari Cooper. So to me and Joku, ideally keep him stashed. Um, but I, I would not want to start him in week two. And here is a follow-up to Tyler's first question about tight ends, because I asked if he had anybody better to choose from. And he says he drafted Cole Komet and then dumped him for Taysom Hill. And to me, that's the mistake to make off of week one, because Taysom Hill got his production via a 65-yard run, I think it was, or whatever it was, 48, whatever the number was. One big run, and then like an 11-yard touchdown. And otherwise, he barely played in the game. Cole Komet did nothing in a game where the two teams combined for like 12 pass attempts. So <laughs> I would go ahead and keep Cole Komet. I would go ahead and start him again this week. And now we'll reset in normal weather and see where things go. Yeah, Tyler, I would try to roster two tight ends if you have space. And the two I'd roster would be Cole Komet and David Njoku. Yes, I agree with that. All right. So I, I was, you know, I, I like to see the better usage for Njoku than the target count suggests, but I'm certainly not starting him right now unless yep. I need to, because that Browns offense needs to show us that it can support anything beyond uh, from the passing side, anything beyond Amari Cooper and Donovan Peoples Jones, who <laughs> made quite an impact in that first one. I'm not going to bet yeah. on that repeating that level of uh, inclusion, but it certainly made me happy for the number of times that I drafted Donovan Peoples Jones in best ball leagues. Yeah. 32% target share for DPJ. And he's a full-time player. Like that target share is not going to stay, but he could be a 20% target share guy, um, which might make him useful. At least when we get the Sean Watson back over, you know, the the final third of the season, the backfield um, was interesting. You know, both guys had nice games, Chubb and over hundred yards rushing. Um, Kareem Hunt had, did he have two touchdowns in the opener? Oh yeah. Um, Yep. And I sat on Robert Woods in our uh, DS uh, dynasty league. Ouch. (laughs) Oh, and you played me, huh? I sure I did. I like blew a five touchdown Patrick Mahomes game. Uh, appreciate you. That's that's nice of you. That's um, it, it, you know, Kareem Hunt out snapped and ran more pass routes than Nick Chubb in week one. And Kareem Hunt had more expected fantasy points than Nick Chubb did. You know, Chubb still out carried Hunt 22 to 11, but Hunt out targeted Chubb four to one. You know, Hunt got those uh, two goal line opportunities. So I would still bet on Chubb scoring more points, but. You know, the, the gap between them is going to be a lot smaller than it was if you looked at ADP in August. And that's why Chubb never became a draft target for me, even though he was being drafted at a more appropriate level, and why Kareem Hunt mm-hmm. was a draft target. Not because I say Kareem Hunt is going to continue to outproduce him, but because it's possible in any given week. And if it's possible and there's a six to seven round difference in their ADP, then you take the cheaper one. For sure. Um, Amari Cooper, you know, like we said, he was okay usage, but he's outside our top 40 this week. If you have to use him fine, but, uh, let's hope that you don't on the jet side, it's going to be Joe Flacco again. It's probably not going to be 59 pass attempts again. (laughs) So we have to 
expected the volume to come down some. Now that brings us to the distribution, the percentages. And I think the positive on Elijah Moore from week one is that he was well ahead of the other Jets receivers in playing time, in route mm-hmm. rate. The negative, not ahead of those guys in targets. So, you know, I guess the way that you, the takeaway that you bring from that depends on what you want to believe about <laughs> Elijah Moore. Cause for me, I, that was my, that that's that's the thing that scared me off is I think the yeah. targets are just going to get spread around. There will be times where he's the leader, but there will be plenty of times where he's not. And ultimately we're going to get, you know, maybe 80% of these pass attempts at most, probably even less than that. So it's just a situation I'm glad to not be invested in. Yeah. My feelings on more haven't changed. I, you know, still rank him as like a low end wide receiver three. He'll, he'll have some big games because he will have games where he gets 10 targets and he's a talented player, but you know, Corey Davis out-targeted him in week one. Garrett Wilson out-targeted Elijah Moore in week one, running like half the pass routes. Um, Garrett Wilson's role is only going to grow going forward. I actually thought it was an encouraging opener for Wilson. So he ended up at he ended up at 56% of the routes. He actually did beat Braxton Berrios in pass routes, which I did not expect based on preseason usage. But that's obviously how it should be. Um, I think Wilson's playing time is just going to grow going forward. And, um, you know, the fact that he saw – eight targets only running half of the pass routes is very encouraging. So you know, I, I would, I'm sure Wilson was drafted in your league. Um, but if you know, you're in a smaller league and for some reason he, he wasn't, he, he's a good guy to add this week. Cause I do think he's going to become, you know, one of the top two wide receivers on this team before long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure that there are plenty of leagues where he was not drafted too, just cause he was going late enough that, it, you know, if, if we're talking 16 rounds, 10 or 12 teams, so he might well have made it uh, two waivers, especially in leagues where everybody's taken a second quarterback and some teams have taken second tight ends and defenses and all that. Um, Braxton Berrios limited Wednesday with the heel injury. So if he misses any game time, that would help the target outlooks for guys. But the backfield here is more interesting. Michael Carter was decently ahead of Brees Hall in playing time. They were near even in route rates. And uh, like I said, the passing attempt total was way up. So the numbers are coming down for everybody. But both Michael Carter and Brees Hall topped 15% target share. So that's a lot of targets going to running backs. If that continues, it's certainly going to help both of these guys, that's a number that was lower with Zach Wilson last year than it was with other quarterbacks. So, you know, we'll have to watch and see like at this time last year, we were coming off of Deandre Swift and Jamal Williams, both getting a ton of targets in Detroit's opener. (laughs) I I think it's unlikely that we have two 15% target share running backs in the same backfield here, especially considering the talent they have at wide out. But at this point it's, you know, a mark in favor of the outlooks for both running backs. Yeah, I think the Lions comparison is perfect where, you know, the running back target share dropped off the rest of the way. It still remained pretty high, and I think it will in New York because both these guys are quality pass catchers. Um, Yeah, I mean, the usage went about how I expected it based on what we saw in the preseason. You know, 60% of the snaps for Michael Carter, 45% for Brees Hall. Um, You know, Carter outcarries him 10 to 6. I I still think Hall is not someone I'd want to use. You know, he's kind of just outside RB3 territory for me. And Michael Carter is like a, a decent RB3 as long as he's you know, the leader of this committee. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Michael Carter outperformed Brees Hall yeah. here. So there's no reason to believe off of week one that they're just going to start giving more touches to Brees Hall. Yes, Carter beat Hall in PFF rushing grade and PFF receiving grade in week one. Um, Tyler Conklin dominated tight end playing time and routes. That's probably the only other thing really worth mentioning here. Yeah, kind of, you know, to me in the Juwan Johnson range where, like, you know, he should be stashed in FFPC. He's, like, a low-end tight end, too. Um, yeah, the playing time is good. It's just you have, 
you know, three quality wide receivers and two quality pass catching backs. So I think the target share is going to remain, you know, probably in that 10 to 12% range for Conklin. Yep. Very similar situation to Juwan Johnson with the loaded saints offense, Miami dolphins at Baltimore Ravens, Ravens by three and a half. in this one over under 44 and a half Cedric Wilson was out Wednesday with a toe issue. He only saw 46% route participation in week one third among dolphins wide receivers though, and slightly ahead of both tight ends. So if Wilson is out, it adds a little bit of target room for some other guys on the team. He only saw two targets in week one. So it's tough to say there's a big boost here, Jared, probably the thing that I'm most curious about with this dolphins offense is we had lots of targets combined for Tyree kill and Jalen Waddle in week one, they combined for 51% target share in that game. It was 36% for Hill, 15% for Jalen Waddle. Nobody gets 36% for the season, you know, relatively speaking. We should not expect it to stay at 36 for Hill. So I'm curious to see if we get like six percentage points from Hill shifting to Waddle so that it's like 30 for Hill and 21 for Waddle. I think that would be enough to make both of those guys just fine and potentially values from where they were going in drafts. Yeah, and and I do think those guys will combine for about 50% of the Dolphins' targets. Uh, Like you said, Cedric Wilson, the third wide receiver, only at 46% of their outs. Mike Kosicki led the tight ends at 43% of their outs. Like, you know, this offense is going to revolve around Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. I came into the season expecting Hill to, you know, beat Waddle by, you know, three to four percentage points in target share. That's still kind of what I'm expecting. Um, It it was an encouraging debut debut for Tyreek Hill, and I think, you know, it'll it'll get better volume-wise for Jalen Waddle. And then Chase Edmonds played well ahead of Raheem Mostert, 12 to 5 in carries, 21 to 14 in routes, 4 to 1 in targets. So, might not be a great spot for him this week. We'll see. But Jets running backs were pretty productive against the Ravens last week. Yeah, pretty encouraging debut for Chase Edmonds. You know, 57% route rate, 12% target share. If he can hang on to those kind of numbers and then still be the lead ball carrier, like he, you know, can probably, you know, flirt with like low end running back to production in PPR leagues. You know, he was, he was 31st and expected PPR points um, in week one. The Dolphins O-line is still a concern, but if you keep getting that kind of passing game usage for Edmonds, he'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Anything else? For, um, oh yeah. The Ravens side. I don't know, I thought it was the next game at first. JK Dobbins full practice Wednesday. So we'll see. Maybe he's actually in play for this Sunday. I, I would not want to use him right. in week two. I, I do think he's going to play. Um, I would guess he'll be limited to some extent. So I, I, you know, wait and see on Dobbins. He could be an option by week three. Um, if Dobbins plays, I just avoid the entire Ravens backfield. If Dobbins is out again, you know, Kenny and Drake was the pretty clear leader in snaps and carries and in week one. So, you know, he'd be in the RB three mix. I would say if JK Dobbins plays, avoid the Ravens backfield. If JK Dobbins doesn't play, avoid the Ravens backfield. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. They're, the Ravens, so we talked about the Bucks going, you know, in the opposite direction in pass rate. The Ravens were second in situation neutral pass rate in week one, um, which it. I got to imagine, you know, has is because Kenny and Drake and Mike Davis and Justice Hill were in the backfield. I don't think they're going to finish there. But yeah, we, we saw them shift towards the pass last year. Um, they, they could at least stay in the territory they were last year this season. Yeah, I mean, they disappointed a little bit in production versus that passing game usage in week one. You know, we'll see if that changes going forward. I would certainly bet on it being better than it was in week one against the Jets. Yep, for sure. Rashad Bateman, I want to see more target share. Still, I'm using him as a high-end wide receiver three. So, you know, it was a little bit of a disappointing opener. I mentioned the whole passing game was a little bit disappointing. It's tough to you know, lament too much a game that produced three touchdown passes for Lamar Jackson, but they definitely should have put up bigger numbers 
for what they did in that game, how much they threw the ball. And Rashad Bateman, I would like to see get more going forward. Now we'll see as things develop, whether the Jets were just like a difficult matchup because they did draft a cornerback third overall. So it's possible that they're not a great matchup for number one wide receivers this year. So, you know, coming out, I'm not changing my outlook for Rashad Bateman. I do see, I do want to see him get a larger slice of this passing game. I want to see him run more pass routes. I mean, he was only at 71% of the pass routes. You'd like to see your receivers, you know, at least up into the 80s. Now, again, it's it's one game. If, if he runs like four more pass routes, he's at like, you know, 83% of the routes, and we're probably not worried. So I'm I'm, de- I'm not adjusting on Bateman too much. Um, but, again, I, I'd like to see that, that playing time climb in week two. And, by the way, before we get too far away from the run game, this offensive line has some questions because Ronnie Stanley missed week one. Um, still not a, a, a lock for week two and his replacement, Juwan James tore his Achilles tendon. So we could be in some rough shape up front. We'll see how that affects who else is out, who, whoever's out there. Yeah. And the, the, the last thing I'm monitoring in Baltimore and not adjusting yet, but monitoring is Lamar Jackson only ran it six times in week one. He only had four designed carries. Um, and he has this contract thing going on. So like, I don't know if he's going to be trying to protect himself a bit more this season than he has in the past. Now, again, I'm not, not adjusting yet but definitely watching it this week. And if we get, you know, five or six carries again in week two, I think we will start to, you know, bring his rushing projections down at least a little. Mm -hmm. Uh, Behind him, behind Rashad Bateman, we had those two touchdowns for Devin Duvernay, but that kind of overshadowed that he and Demarcus Robinson and Isaiah likely all played about the same amount of time. So I think all those guys are players that are unlikely to be in weekly lineup contention fantasy. We'll just kind of watch the the injury situations for all those guys and see what changes. Yeah, you can't start Duvernay yet, or likely. Um, you know, with Duvernay, you're hoping that performance earns him more playing time going forward, and then maybe he becomes an option. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else from that game? Nope. Indianapolis Colts at Jacksonville Jaguars. Colts by four, over under 45 and a half. On the Colts side, Shaq Leonard put in a full practice Wednesday, so it looks like he's going to be ready for his season debut. That should make the Colts defense tougher than the one that led up probably too many points to the Texans <laughs> last week. Michael Pittman Jr. is limited Wednesday with a quad issue. You know, we'll watch to see if that's something to worry about, but assuming that he's fine, he'll be in lineups. Jonathan Taylor is obviously in lineups. Really, Jared, those are the two Colts that I want to use this week and not not much else. Yeah, that, that's it. Um, you know, J, JT played a bigger passing game role than we were projecting, you know, in a game that the Colts were actually trailing throughout. Um, so that's good news for Jonathan Taylor. Bad news for Naheem Hines. He only ran a route on 39% of pass plays again in negative game script. So um, J- JT looking awesome. Pittman looking awesome with the 26% target share. Matt Ryan to me did not look awesome. That'd be my concern with the Colts offense going forward. Yeah, it looked uh, kind of Carson Wentz-like in that game, getting picked <laughs> off by a defensive lineman. <laughs> um, the Colts, of course, dumped kicker Rodrigo Blankenship. So make sure he's not in fantasy lineups this week. On the Jaguars side, the big thing is very discouraging use for Travis Etienne in the opener tied with Tony Pollard for 41st and opportunity share. According to the stats on our site, playing time with James Robinson was way too close. Jared, I I'm not playing Travis Etienne this week and I'm very worried that he was a negative draft pick. Yeah, me too. Cause Ro- Robinson looked good, you know, way better than I thought he'd look, uh, you know, nine months off the, the torn Achilles. The, the, the snaps were split basically down the middle. Etienne did, beat Robinson in, in pass routes, but it was, you know, 48% to 34%. So even that wasn't a dominant share for Travis Etienne. Travis Etienne did look good to me outside. So first of all, Etienne could have had two receiving touchdowns. He dropped one. 
Trevor Lawrence overshot him by like five yards when ETN was wide open down the right sideline would have been like a 20 yard touchdown. So, you know, that would have made his box score look a lot better, but the usage obviously discouraging and just the fact that Robinson looks so good, like Robinson is not going to go away. Um, I think you need to hope ETN claims a bigger part of the passing game going forward because that's where he's going to score his fantasy points. And that's the thing. If you're an ETN drafter slash believer, then you're telling yourself, yeah, he was very efficient though on his touches. They're going to give him the ball more, but it was the opening game of the season. It was coming off a summer where Travis ETN was healthy, generating buzz, everybody talking about how good he looks. And James Robinson was coming off an Achilles tear. So if anything, the team had reason to ease James Robinson in, and give Travis Etienne whatever it wanted to. Now, I'm not saying that that means we got the definite picture of how they want to treat it going forward, but Doug Peterson said heading in that he might give the ball plenty to James Robinson, that things would happen in-game that would determine it. So I don't think that there's a reason to believe that the touch count is dramatically rising for Etienne. We'll see where it goes. We're still developing. It's the first game. But like I said, if anything, it would have been a game to favor more usage for Etienne and less for Robinson, and it did the opposite. I do think it's worth remembering that that was Travis Etienne's first NFL game, right? Like, you know, he's not a rookie, but he's basically a rookie because he missed the entire, you know, the entire 2021 season. So we'll, we'll see where it goes again. The, the snaps and routes, you know, make it look like Etienne was the slight leader and, you know, the touches do, do not. Um, so we'll, we'll see De- definitely bad news for Etienne. I don't, I don't think he's dead though. No, not dead, but he might, he might be Tony Pollard. If he did score those two touchdowns, He'd be like fancy um, Dontrell Hilliard this week. Yeah, he'd be the easiest sell in fantasy if he scored two touchdowns last week. Definitely. So go ahead and cross your fingers for those two touchdowns in week two and then hit the trade desk for sure. Uh, But we'll see where the usage goes. Usage was good in the wide receiver core. Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Marvin Jones, all around 90% route rate. Evan Ingram was at 80%. Target shares were a little different. Kirk, 29%. Zay Jones, 21%. Marvin Jones, 14%. Evan Ingram, 9.5%. So... I am, you know, I'm trying to look at the route rate for Ingram and hope that the target rate climbs. I certainly think that is possible based on how much he was on the field. We'll see where things go with all those receivers, but it's it's really a positive for kind of all three of them, just how much time all those pass catchers spent on the field for Jacksonville. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a clear top three. Um, Ingram, by the way, I think is going to be fine. Like if he's running routes at, you know, an 80% clip, I think he's he's going to be fine. Christian Kirk's the guy I'm super excited about. I think it was the final preseason game. He saw like a third of Trevor Lawrence's targets in that one. He comes out in the opener and sees 29% of Jacksonville's targets. He also played 86% of his snaps in the slot in week one, which I love because I think, you know, even going back to his college days, Christian Kirk has been in his be- at his best in the slot. So I think, I, mean, I think the Jags are using him perfectly. Um, I think he's going to be, you know, at least a, a weekly wide receiver three for the rest of the season. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Trevor Lawrence needs to show more before he's a fantasy starter. Yeah, I um, didn't love how Lawrence played. I was hoping for better. But again, you know, young player, first game in this Doug Peterson offense. I, I do think he'll get better over the course of the season. But yeah, not not someone I'd want to use in a one quarterback league right now. Mm-hmm. Washington Commanders at the Detroit Lions. Lions by one and a half in this game. It's the first time they've been favored in quite a while. Uh, (laughs) Over under a 48 and a half. So a decent game for fantasy. DeAndre Swift, big week one. He has an ankle issue that kept him out of practice Wednesday. Any indication that it's serious here, Jared? Because I don't remember it popping up in the game at all. Yeah, so he said he said he's not worried about it, which you know players always say that. Um, he he said he rolled it in the second quarter of last week's game, then obviously was able to to play through it. So I'm ex- you know, expecting Swift to play. We'll see what he does in practice on Thursday and Friday. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the O-line is also getting banged up. We had Vitae had back surgery earlier this week. He's going to be out for a while. Center Frank Ragnow missed practice Wednesday with a groin injury. He's day-to-day. Taylor Decker missed practice Wednesday with a calf injury. So the offense, the rushing offense looked really good against Philly, but if it's missing 60% of its O-line in week two or any games beyond that, it could be a very different picture. I wouldn't alter my outlook for DeAndre Swift, assuming he plays this week against Washington on that, but it's something to be aware of. I think maybe the bigger factor for Swift's outlook going forward is that Jamal Williams is, he, he was behind Swift in overall usage in that game against Philly, but he's probably going to remain annoying at least near the goal line. Yeah, I, I, I think so. So it was, you know, five carries for Williams, just one for Swift inside the 10-yard line in week one. Um, three of those Williams carries came right after DeAndre Swift ripped off big gains and, you know, came off the field because he was gassed. Um, so I I don't know what to make of the goal line usage exactly yet. Um, it would make, you know, Williams capitalize on his chances in week one. So did Swift. Um, mm-hmm. So We'll see, I guess. I'm not, I'm not ready to you know commit to the goal line usage either way at this point. Yeah, and I don't mean to say that Jamal Williams is the goal line back here. I think if you're watching the game, there's it was some just like what was happening specifically at that time in the game. Like the first yeah. Jamal Williams touchdown came after DeAndre Swift had a really long run. So obviously you're going to need a little bit of a breather after that. And then Williams went in. Now, you know, maybe that would have been the case even if Swift had gotten them there in smaller chunks, but it was the case in that, in that particular uh, instance. So, you know, we'll see where it is. There's enough for both of those guys to produce, uh, especially at the levels where they were drafted. And certainly if you drafted DeAndre Swift, you can only be encouraged by the way that he looked, worked and produced in that game. And Washington uh, 31st and football outsiders run defense through uh, week one. So it could be another mismatch if the Lions, you know, have a semi-healthy O-line. Very encouraging week one for Amon Ross St. Brown's opportunities as well. And yet also still fine for TJ Hawkinson and DJ Chark. Yeah. St. Brown picked off right where he, you know, left, left off last year, 32% target share in the opener. Um, and, you know, again, he's primary slot receiver. We just saw Jags primary slot receiver, Christian Kirk go for 117 yards against Washington. So Amon Ross St. Brown seems like he's in a good spot this week. Yes, and high in our wide receiver rankings for week two, and I agree with it, even if I wasn't a buyer at draft time. On the Washington side, Curtis Samuel apparently is going to be much closer <laughs> to Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson in usage, in role than summer seemed to indicate. And, you know, obviously, Jared, I don't think we should assume that the target distribution of week one is going to stay like it was specifically in Curtis Samuel and Antonio Gibson's favor, but the takeaway here is that Curtis Samuel is going to be closer to those other two wideouts in playing time than we probably thought based off the preseason. Yeah, I mean Washington's going to be a you know primarily three wide receiver team, and Samuel's the third wide receiver. He was at eighty three percent of the routes in Week One. Also, had you know besides the big target share, had the four carries, which we like to see. You know that's something he did in, in Carolina under Scott Turner. So you know he's not going to get four every game, but he might get you know he might average one or two per game which always helps. The other interesting thing about the wide receiver usage was the average depth of targets in week one, Terry McLaurin, 19 yards, Jahan Dotson, 13.6 yards, Curtis Samuel, a one yard average depth of target. Uh, you, you like, you, we'd like that to be a little higher and I think it will be, um, but it's pretty clear that, you know, they're going to use him as that short range guy, which, you know, again, it's, it's going to mean a lower yards for a catch, but it's going to mean a higher catch rate, which, you know, raises the floor in PPR. 
An interesting note because back in Carolina, we saw Curtis Samuel work both short and deep range under this coaching staff um, for the Panthers. Yeah. I, he he got one more carry in this game than J.D. McKissick, so we might be looking at Curtis Samuel being like souped up J.D. McKissick and you know thus pushing McKissick out of view here, but you know helping Curtis Samuel get those touches week to week. Yeah, McKissick just like um, Naheem Hines was a pretty disappointing game usage wise for him. I think you know he's. He's cuttable in, in shallower leagues. Mm. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Carson Wentz is commonly around 40 pass attempts like he was in week one. So, you know, maybe the volume was elevated, but just he, he's one of those players and the, the situation, I wouldn't be shocked if this team is is regularly in that 37 to 42 pass attempts. So the overall volume could remain there for everybody. Yeah, Washington was 12th in pace in week one and they were 13th in situation neutral pass rate so you know above average in both of those marks is definitely good news for Wentz's volume mm-hmm. on to the Seahawks at the 49ers Niners by eight and a half in this one over under 41 I'm surprised by this one Jared I think this is a bit of wish casting on the 49ers offense <laughs> eight and a half point line in this one it's the third smallest total overall the 49ers are tied for the 10th highest implied total with the Colts and the Bengals so you know it's not a crazy implied total for them but I am surprised by the split because Geno Smith at least looked compliment, competent, more competent than my English is right now. <laughs> he did. And, you know, he, he kind of did in the preseason too. So, you know, that's, you know, uh, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett didn't deliver in the box score in week one, but I do think, you know, if, if Geno's not a disaster that it keeps Metcalf and Lockett in play. Met, Metcalf's average depth of target way down in week one, 4.4 yards. Um, you know, he'd been up above 12 yards in each of his first three NFL seasons. So that's something worth keeping an eye on. You know, Metcalf is a guy I think we want working downfield more. Um, you know, he's still in the wide receiver three mix for me, Tyler Lockett, maybe more of a wide receiver four. And then we'll see, it looks like Kenneth Walker is going to make his 2022 debut or his NFL debut in week two. He was a full go in Wednesday's practice. I think he's going to play behind Rashad Penny to start. I don't think Walker's a week two option, but he definitely makes Rashad Penny a, a riskier play. Yeah, so the pro for Seattle is Geno Smith did not look terrible in the opener. The con is, is the Seahawks offense really any good? Because they remained sluggish and they had a lot of tight ends doing things on the field, taking a lot more targets than than really should go on a team that has DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Yeah, and it was a you know, total three-way committee at tight end, which is what we saw in the preseason. Uh, you know, Noah Fant led the way, but he ran her out on just 57% of the draft pick, so he's not really usable. Um, and you know, remember the Seahawks ran, like, like the fewest plays in a long time? They, they ran 49 plays in the opener. So even with, you know, Russell Wilson gone, this is still a, a low-volume offense overall, which doesn't help. And Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Lockett, or Hackett, I mean, and the uh, turnovers near the goal line just let him get away with it. So we come away from week one saying, oh, Seattle won without Russell Wilson instead of saying, well, things need to get better than that because Seattle's decision makers are morons. Yeah, Seattle had 253 offensive yards. You know, Denver dominated the game. They just gave it away. Mm -hmm. On the Niners side of this one, Trey Lance on the top 12 fringe because of his rushing. I think that we give him a mulligan for that rain-soaked game in Chicago in the opener. I think the first real decision for me, Jared, as I look in the rankings is if I have Trey Lance and Matthew Stafford, not really sure there. My, my gut feeling is to feel a little bit safer with Stafford, but I certainly can't argue that Trey Lance has more upside. Yeah, I'd go Lance there because I don't feel safe with Stafford. To me, the only thing to like about 
Stafford besides the fact that he has Cooper Cup, I guess, is the matchup with Atlanta. We'll we'll get we'll get to Stafford in a second here. But I mean, I'm I'm basically throwing out the box score last week for Lance because of the conditions in Chicago. Um, you know, he wasn't great as a passer, but again, it was difficult conditions for throwing the fo- football. You like the fact that he had the 13 carries. Nine of those carries were designed. That was the highest among all quarterbacks in week one. So he, he's going to give you that rushing production. Um, nice matchup here against Seattle. The Seahawks just lost Jamal Adams for around us. He out for the season. Do we know yet? I don't um, think they've said specifically, but he's having surgery. So he's certainly out yeah, for that, the foreseeable future. Yeah. So that's a matchup upgrade for, for Trey Lance. So I, I, I'm not really adjusting my fantasy outlook for Trey Lance based on week one. Mm-hmm. Debo Samuel, you got to start him if you drafted him. You should want him to be rushing the ball less, though. And yeah. with Elijah Mitchell going down, it seems like we should expect him to keep running the ball. So for me, I mean, you know, maybe I'm a little biased just heading into the season, feeling like he was overvalued. But as soon as Debo Samuel has a really big game, I'm shopping him pretty hard. Me too. Um, I, I, you know, I do think he's a uh, wide receiver one right now with the usage that he got on the ground again. And he you know, saw a decent usage in the passing game in week one as well. You know, that uh, Mitchell's injury was basically the impetus to start getting Debo involved on the ground. So I do think he's going to, you know, probably get you five, six, seven carries in week two. And if he's getting six plus carries a week, he's going to get hurt at some point. I think so. Uh, with him, with Elijah Mitchell out for at least half the season, bet on Jeff Wilson Jr. as the top runner, but you got to yeah. make sure you're not betting too heavily. Kyle, Kyle Shanahan already told us he's going to go with the hot hand and that's, you know, we hear that all the time from coaches. That's worth keeping in mind because this team had nobody else involved among running backs. Tyreon Davis Price was inactive. They had Jordan Mason active, but he didn't play a single offensive snap. So for him to say hot hand, it's basically to say, don't trust that it's going to be Jeff Wilson. Yeah, I'd be very careful with Wilson. Like, you know, he's in running back three range in our rankings, which is definitely taking the floor into account. I mean, you know, there's a ch- in the, in his uh, four games in Wilson's four games without Mitchell last year, he had 19, 13, 21 and 14 carries. So you know, he could get that type of workload. Um, but just know that, you know, I would not be shocked if TDP plays a bigger role if Jordan Mason gets involved. I, I just, I, you know, the Niners trust Wilson. But I, I don't think he's very good. Like I think Davis Price and maybe even Mason are better runners. So it would not surprise me if they end up playing pretty big roles on Sunday. Although they've kept Wilson around for five years now. So, I mean, they, yeah. they clearly like him. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes anywhere from like 10th to 30th this week. Yeah. Anywhere from like five carries to 20 carries, I think is, is in the range. <laughs> and then Brandon Ayuk didn't do a whole lot in week one, but the playing time was good. I, I need more from Trey Lance before I'm starting Brandon Ayuk, but I'm not dumping him right now. Yeah, Ayuk ran a, ran a pass route in every single dropback, so that's good news. Um, and then, of course, you know, we'll see about George Kittle, who still did not practice on Wednesday, so that has me leaning, you know, he, him not playing on Sunday. That'd be bad news for Trey Lance, but it'd be good news for Ayuk and Debo. Mm-hmm. Anything else from that game? Nope. Falcons at Rams. Rams by 10.5 in this one, over under 46.5. On the Falcon side, we had Damian Williams out Wednesday with the rib injury that knocked him out of Sunday's game. Um, Cordero Patterson, that obviously helps his touch outlook. I think we're not likely to see positive game script to the degree that it was against yeah. the Saints in the opener. Patterson's still usable, but I, I would expect that his stat line from this one will look a lot different than his week one did. Yeah, I mean, 22 carries and five targets for Patterson. I'm sure that was not the plan heading into the game, but when you lose Damian Williams and then was it Avery Williams was the number two back? He's like a converted defensive back, mm-hmm. and they weren't going to trust him with a big role. So they kind of had to give Patterson 
that type of workload. I, I think if Damian Williams is out Sunday, that we'll see Tyler Tyler Algier make his debut. I'm not sure how much he'll do. He's obviously not a fantasy option, but yeah, I mean, you know, don't expect 27 opportunities for Patterson again. But you know, he's he's a fine RB two or RB three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't reach to replace him. I would not play Jeff Wilson Jr. over him, but I wouldn't also con- consider Patterson a must play um, this week. The usage was good for both Kyle Pitts and Drake London in week one. It's going to be, you're going to have to be patient with either guy though in your lineup because it does, it, it, it's not going to be an awesome pass offense. No, but Mariota, again, kind of like the preseason, he, he wasn't bad, right? He was, he was kind of fine as a passer. He ran a lot. He had, what do you have? 12 carries for 72 yards and a touchdown. Eight of those carries were designed. Um, so he's someone you should doubt. I'm sure he's already owned in two quarterback leagues and super flex, but he's, he's looking like a nice quarterback too right now with that rushing ability. I thought it was an encouraging debut for Drake London, considering he had missed all that time in August and even early September with the knee injury, you know, 82% of the routes, 21% target share. He actually ranked uh, 17th among 88 wide receivers in week one in PFF receiving grade. Um, he's going to see a lot of Jalen Ramsey this week, which is a tough matchup. So, you know, London's still like a borderline wide receiver three for this week, but I'm pretty excited about his outlook the rest of the way. Yeah, certainly encouraging coming off the knee where they weren't even sure until Saturday that he was going to play. And then they're like, all right, he's playing. So we might as well throw him the ball plenty (laughs) Um, on the Rams side. Allen Robinson obviously is the first thing. Well, I don't know. Allen Robinson or the backfield. So let's start in the backfield because Cam Akers was barely involved in that game relative to what we expected from him. My only question, it's definitely Daryl Henderson, the guy to use for week two. The only hesitation for me is do we get a similar work split? I think we get some more going to Cam Akers, mm-hmm. but it certainly wasn't Sean McVay acting like it was a mistake to work things the way that he did in week one. If anything, he said he needs to see more from Cam Akers before he's willing to give him touches. Yeah, and I mean, Henderson wasn't great in the opener, but Akers didn't, to me, show anything that would you know make the Rams want to give him a, a much bigger workload. We'll see how it plays out to me that the matchup, against Atlanta, who is dead last in football outsiders run defense rankings through week one. And you have the Rams big home favorites with a huge implied total like that. It makes me want to start Daryl Henderson, even if, you know, we don't know for sure exactly what the workload split's going to look like. Yes, I agree with that. Cause even if they split evenly, there's room for either or yes. both running backs to do something in this game. Um, yep. But certainly Daryl Henderson ahead of Cam Akers at this point, I wouldn't dump Cam Akers mm-hmm. though. I would stash him and see what happens here. For sure. For sure. Um, so Allen Robinson's the other question. Now, For him, I'm willing to just give a mulligan because I think that they ended up against Buffalo getting Cooper Cup in terrific individual matchups throughout the game, and Matthew Stafford was under pressure the entire time. I don't think that Atlanta has the capacity to do that the way that Buffalo did, so I think we're going to see a lot more successful passing from Matthew Stafford. And I mean, if if week one was really a sign of what's to come for Allen Robinson, that would just tell us that the Rams – were wrong in signing him and that they were lying about how they felt about him all off season. So I don't believe that those two things are true. Maybe he disappoints relative to the buzz. I, I just don't think that he's dead. Yeah. I mean, I think one big takeaway from the Thursday night opener is that the bills defense is really good. And, you know, you probably are not going to want to be using, you know, fringier type fantasy guys against the bills. Um, you know, Robinson was out there for 96% of the pass plays. It's, Tough to not be productive on that type of playing time. In what's still gonna, easy to me. Yeah, but still going to be an above-average offense, like a, a good quarterback. Um, 
But to me, it's just that performance after what we saw from him last year has me worried. Now, again, he's going to be a full-time player, at least until Van Jefferson gets back from his knee injury. So, I, you know, I, I think you can start Robinson this week in a much easier matchup. Um, but, again, I'm, I'm going to be keeping an eye on him. He, you know, Robinson was um, 92nd in PFF receiving grades among 111 wide receivers that saw two-plus targets mm-hmm. in week one after, you know, having a, a, a bad 2021. So, I'm definitely worried, um, but I'm not, I'm not totally giving up on Robinson yet. Yeah, and just to get specific, he is 40th in our PPR rankings at wide receiver for week two. He's right behind MVS, behind Drake London, behind Curtis Samuel and Josh Palmer, and ahead of Amari Cooper, Devontae Smith, Brandon Ayuk, Tyler Lockett. I think that's a totally fair range to play Allen Robinson if you're deciding among those players. I have an Allen Robinson, MVS, Josh Palmer decision to make in in one of my leagues, and they're all, you know, within five spots in our ranking. So that'll that'll be fun. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Cincinnati, do you actually, do you want to talk anything else about that game? I feel like the other guys are fairly straightforward. Oh yeah. I'm going to keep chasing Tyler Higby. Like I did all last season. Cause he ran around on 92% of the pass play. Saw 27% target share. Higby was seventh among tight ends and expected fantasy points in week one. Um, he didn't have a good game. He had, I think he had one drop, maybe two. Um, uh, but just, you know, that type of usage at tight end is someone I'm going to take shots on. I think, you know, he's a top 10 play this week. And I guess we should hit Matthew Stafford before we get out of this game. I mean, I think he is in that, that, you know, low end QB one to high end QB two range. I, so the argument for him versus Trey Lance is not even an argument that I feel strongly on either side. It's really like Matthew Stafford. I've seen put up fantasy points for a long time. So I'm willing to throw out the Buffalo game because I think the Atlanta pass rush sucks. So I'm not worried about him getting pressured and he's got so much talent around him that I think his game will be at least okay. Now, upside wise, I think Trey Lance definitely beats him on ceiling. So if you're like, oh, I'm going to chase Trey Lance's ceiling and trust that the Russian gives him a floor, that makes total sense to me. Yeah, the pass rush key is the pass rush thing is key for me with Stafford because, you know, we had some concerns about the O line coming in. It didn't look good in week one. Now, again, that's a really good Bills pass rush. But then the Rams, they lost Brian Allen, their center, for two to four weeks. I believe it's a knee injury for him. And then um, their left tackle, Joe uh, Nopum, also injured his knee in week one. He's day-to-day. It sounds like he has a chance to play week two. But, you know, the, the O-line has become a concern for the Rams. Yeah, for sure. And it already started out as a concern. So, mm-hmm. you know, not a good direction for them to go. Basically, pretty much any other matchup this week, I'd be like, yeah, I'm still a little wary of the pass rush against this team. But Atlanta hasn't had a pass rusher since <laughs> I don't even know when. So I'm yeah. not, not worried about this one. Um, yep. All right. So let's move on to Bengals Cowboys, which was a much more interesting game before Dak Prescott hurt his right hand. We got the Bengals by seven and a half on the road here over under 42, which is down eight versus the pre-injury number. T Higgins has a concussion, was limited Wednesday. Zach Taylor said he's making good progress. So we'll have to watch. It's usually good to just assume, you know, for planning purposes that a player is going to miss the next game off a concussion. We'll see if that's the case. If T Higgins is out, Tyler Boyd jumps into starter consideration. For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, the two games Higgins missed last year, you know, Boyd saw 17 targets, which, you know, is a good number. The Bengals only threw it 50 times in those two games. So it was a 34% target share for Tyler Boyd. He's obviously, you know, unlikely to get that on Sunday, but, you know, he, he has the upside to be, you know, a, a big part of the passing game. I don't know how much the Bengals are going to need to throw in this game against Dallas without Dak Prescott. Um, but I, I do think Boyd is like a, a wide receiver three play if there's no T Higgins. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. He was, as you said, very good in the limited um, exposure that we've seen with no T Higgins and with Joe Burrow. Um, everything else on the Cincinnati side is pretty straightforward. I mean, Dallas played pretty well on defense against the Bucks. I, it's not enough for me to actually alter my expectation for Joe Burrow. And frankly, we saw Joe Burrow start out horribly against Pittsburgh last week and then salvage what was, ended up being a pretty good fantasy outing. Yeah, the Bengals ran 94 plays in that game. So you just know that they played like a game and a half worth of snaps. So everything was inflated. I think the last note on the Bengals is Hayden Hurst, who, you know, 80% route rate and a 15% target share in week one. Um, I think in better environments, like I don't love him this week because I think it's going to, you know, kind of be a slower, lower scoring game. You're going to probably see a lot of Joe Mixon from the Bengals. But, you know, in games when Cincinnati gets into shootouts, I think, you know, Hurst, Hurst is going to be useful in fantasy. Mm-hmm. On the Dallas side, there's really not a whole lot to say because Cooper Rush is the quarterback yeah. instead of Dak Prescott. I think the question people have is, do I still use C.D. Lamb? And in general, I would say, yeah, go ahead, but not as high as you would have. Yeah, I, I you know, he, he's in wide receiver two range. Lamb is in our week two rankings. You know, Cooper Rush, he made the week eight start last year, 325 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Um, you know, threw it 40 times against what was a pretty bad Vikings defense, but. Um, you know, CD Lamb went for 112 yards on six catches in that game. And that was with Amari Cooper on the other side of the field. You know, Lamb could see an even bigger target share this week. Yeah, both Lamb and Cooper topped 100 yards in that game. But that was an absolutely awful Vikings defense. So you have to take that into account. And it was one game. You have to take that into account. So we'll say that the Dallas offense is not dead, but everybody comes down from where they would have been with Dak Prescott. For sure. Michael Gallup was limited Wednesday coming back from his ACL. So he's nearing a return. We'll see when it is. Obviously we're not going to use him once he's back, even if Dak Prescott is the quarterback until we see, you know, at least a game or two of action. Right. Exactly. Houston Texans at Denver Broncos Broncos by 10 in this one, because apparently Vegas didn't watch their performance on Monday (laughs) night either Um, over under 45 KJ Hamler was no practice on Wednesday with hip and knee issues. That doesn't really matter whether he's playing or not because Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton both got enough usage, even in what was kind of a disappointing night for Denver's offense and probably not even as disappointing as it seemed just because they kept, you know, flubbing opportunities near the goal line. Yeah, I will say Wilson didn't look great to me and PFF had him 21st in their passing grade. So, you know, after what was a pretty rough 2021 that we, you know, kind of basically blamed on the the hand injury. Um, you know, it wasn't a great start for us, but definitely not panicking yet. Like he, like you said, he was, he was good enough for both Judy and Sutton to produce both of those guys who were above 90% of the pass routes. They both saw seven targets. Sutton was more of the downfield guy. He had the, the bigger a dot, which I think is going to continue. Um, but I, I think, you know, Sutton and Judy both look like weekly wide receiver twos at this point. And of course, we have a lot of time of Russell Wilson being a good quarterback to go on. And I mean, say what you want about staying calm and ignoring the situation. But this was his first yeah. game back in Seattle, a crowd that was booing him heartily, a team that had to be fired what was up, up with that. Why did why, why did Russ get booed? That was, that was horrible. It was really stupid. I mean, I, I, I'm not on the side of they shouldn't do that. I think fans do whatever they want. You pay a whole bunch sure. of money as long as you're not hurting anybody. Go for it. But it's stupid. I mean, they at the way that they were reacting was like. Seattle wanted to keep Russell Wilson forever and he was like nah get me out of here and that's certainly not what it seemed like from outside yeah I was uh I didn't I didn't like that um the backfield I don't know how much we take away from the backfield it's just a weird game kind of like the you know the what was it 12 targets for Javante now Javante did play 
more snaps. It was close, you know, 58% of the snaps for Javante versus 41 for Melvin Gordon. But Javante had the 62% route rate to 28% for Melvin Gordon. So that's kind of how I'm projecting it at this point where, you know, carries maybe slightly in favor for Javante Williams, but Javante getting most of the pass catching work, which, you know, obviously makes him the much better fantasy play. Yeah, very encouraging for Javante Williams owners because you expect Melvin Gordon to be involved. So it's kind of you know, what you should have been expecting on the rushing front. If the receiving Mm -hmm. continues like that, that's excellent news for if you drafted William. For sure. Um, And Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton are starting this week. Um, (laughs) Not Andrew Beck, though. You probably shouldn't use Andrew Beck, but you also maybe shouldn't use Albert Oakley Boonham. Well, I mean, his usage ended up being pretty solid. You know, the start of the game was like, oh, God, here we go with Andrew Beck and uh, the Saubert catch a pass before Albert O did. Um, but Albert O ended up playing 74. He was on the field for 74% of the pass plays and a 14% target share. So, you know, those are solid numbers and, you know, what should be a good passing game. So, um, you know, again, with the big high implied total here um, and that type of usage for Albert O, I think he's, you know, a, a fringy tight end one option this week. Yeah. And frankly, with all of the questions throughout the tight end this week, it's tough to say how many people outside of Pat Fryermuth are <laughs> reliable for week two and beyond. Great. Um, on the Houston side, I mean, obviously the big note from that game was Lovey Smith. I, I guess maybe he didn't lie to us about Damian Pierce. He didn't say we've seen enough. He's going to dominate the backfield. He said we've seen enough. And then <laughs> he said that in the game, too. He's like, ah, that's enough, Rook. We're going to get Rex Burkhead in there so we can play for this damn tie. Yeah, and, and he, you know, Smith gave us the hole, which I hate. Like, we wanted to get. Damian Pierce in the game or like, why, why didn't you like you, you have that power to, to put him on the field. So I'd be shocked if we continue to get this, you know, 71 to 29 snap rate differential in favor of Rex Burkhead. I do think Rex Burkhead's going to continue to handle the pass catching work. Um, but I would not be surprised at all if Damian Pierce has more carries this week. I don't think either is a great play, you know, at Denver with the low implied total. Um, but I do think, do think if you're picking between them, it, it has to be Burkhead at this point. And I think the first time you get a two touchdown game from Damian Pierce, you immediately start sending out trade offers because this is not going to be a dominated backfield by anybody going forward. Yeah. Yep. That's fair. And it's not going to be a good enough offense to support fantasy value from a multi-back backfield. Yep. Um, Anything worth talking about with the pass catching core? It seems like Brandon cooks and everybody else to me. Oh yeah. uh, Don't start OJ Howard. He (laughs) had, two TDs and two targets and he ran around on 14% of the, I mean, again, that's another guy. Maybe the role grows, but until it grows a lot from where it was in week one, he's nowhere near a fantasy option. Brevin Jordan is dealing with an injury this week, but he was limited Wednesday. Oh so it's not like he's out. So, you know, we'll see. Maybe OJ Howard turns into a starter there, but in most cases you shouldn't even bother picking him up. I did like seeing Howard start on like all my best ball teams though, that I forgot I had him on from like yes. way back in the off season. I definitely saw his points <laughs> in checking my best ball shared performances yeah. this week. Arizona at the Raiders. Raiders by five and a half over under 51 and a half. It's the second highest of the week. Should be a good spot for our fantasy points. Maybe even the Cardinals this week, unlike last week. Rondale Moore still out Wednesday with his hamstring injury. And Jared, should we be considering Greg Dortch for our PPR lineups? I mean, hopefully you're not that desperate yet. Um, you know, he isn't like, I think he's like low wide receiver four ter- territory in our PPR rankings. I mean, you know, he, he, he played, he was on the field for 96% of the pass plays, a 24% target share. He, you know, Dorch to me, to me, Dorch's performance is encouraging for Rondell Moore once he gets healthy. Cause I think Dorch just played the Rondell Moore 
role. And again, nine targets, 96% snout, uh, route rate. He was in the slot for 85% of his snaps. Um, I think that's going to be around up more once he gets healthy. I think, you know, Greg, Dor- Greg Dorch again would be an emergency option in season long. He's, he's someone to maybe consider on DraftKings this week, though, depending on price. I haven't even looked at pricing yet. Yeah, I like Greg Dorch in general. I'm glad to see him finally do something. I was sad that he, you know, didn't go anywhere, got un, uh, went undrafted in the NFL draft. So it's nice to see him do something, not somebody to get excited about right now. And that's the same thing that I said on Monday when I was doing the pod with Josh Larkey, that the usage for Greg Dorch was a positive for Rondale Moore for when he's back healthy. And Jared, just so you know, 3,500 for Greg Dorch on DraftKings this week. That's not yeah, that's not bad if you're stacking up this game. Get him as a salary saver. That's right. Zach Ertz was out Wednesday with his hamstring issue, by the way. Um, he did play last week through the hamstring, but his playing time appeared slightly limited to me. We'll see about exactly what that role looks like going forward. So that could certainly be another thing to help Greg Dorch's PPR mm-hmm. upside. Yeah, just 63% of the routes for Ertz, which, you know, if he's healthy, he, he's probably in the 80s. So he was definitely limited. I don't know if he suffered a setback to, you know, be not practicing at all Wednesday if they're just taking it easy on him. But, um, you know, unless Ertz gets a full practice in on Thursday or Friday, I would I would try not to use him in, in week two fantasy lineups. Marquise Brown, James Conner, uh, and Kyler Murray, on the other hand, in most lineups in most cases. Yeah, Connor, you know, was dominating the backfield work until the second half when they started to, you know, ease off him and place more, you know, Benjamin because they were down by three touchdowns. So it was it was an encouraging week one for for James Connor. He just needs the offense to be better. Thank goodness he got a touchdown before anything uh, before disappearing (laughs) from the game. The Raiders side. I mean, week one went, I guess. I don't know if it's how you hoped because Hunter Renfro didn't get a lot, but if you drafted Devontae Adams, you're like, yes, he's still Devontae Adams in a new place. He's obviously going to be a difference maker going forward. There's room for Darren Waller. There might be room for Hunter Renfro, but I would love to not have to use Hunter Renfro. At least here it's a positive, you know, game environment for his upside. Yeah. I'd say like two good things for Hunter Renfro and even Darren Waller is, you know, Adams Renfro and Waller combined for almost 80% of the Raiders targets. You know, it's going to be a super condensed passing game and Devontae Adams, obviously not going to see 46% of the targets going forward, even if he's at like 30%, that opens up, you know, 16 percentage points for the other two guys. And then the Raiders, um, 10th in situation neutral pace and third in situation neutral pass rate in their first game under Josh McDaniel. So, you know, faster paced pass heavy offense, you know, that's, that's good for Derek Carr and those three pass catchers. Looks like a good matchup for Josh Jacobs. He of course had plenty of usage in that week one game, not, Super high volume. We'd like to see a little bit more target volume in particular, but he might get helped by that um, on that front with Brandon Bolden, who was out Wednesday with a hamstring injury. So if Bolden's out, maybe that helps him get targets. Uh, Zamir yeah. White, I didn't see a whole lot of in week one. Zamir White didn't play a snap. So that that was the good news for Josh Jacobs. Jacobs played 80 or 60% of the snaps, um, 77% of Las Vegas's carries. Also got the only carry inside the five-yard line. So he's the clear lead runner. Um, again, like you said, did not play a big role in the passing game, just the one target. I would assume if Bolden's out that they're just going to plug Amir Abdullah into that pass catching role. So I don't think you're going to get a ton out of Jacobs in the passing game, but again, this could be a game where he gets, you know, 18 carries and there's, there's big target upside with, with Vegas's big implied total. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else from that side of the game? I mean, Derek Carr is squarely inside of QB one yeah. territory. I doesn't even feel like it's needed to talk about. Yeah. The Cardinals dead last in pass defense DVOA through week one. 
Sunday night, we got the Bears at the Packers. Packers by 10 here, which is, I don't know, a little surprising, I guess. But over <laughs> under 42, I think that it's not going to be an awesome fantasy night unless you have a Packers running back. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, we'll see if Alan Lazard gets back. Uh, he was limited in Wednesday's practice. Even, even like, I'm, I'm not even sure I'd want to use Lazard out of the gate coming off the injury, not knowing exactly what this wide receiver core is going to look. I did think it was promising that Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs played as big a role as they did you know, as rookies in week one. Um, I don't think they're usable yet, um, but I think they're both nice stashes in, in deeper leagues. I agree, especially encouraging for Watson, who had the late start mm-hmm. to training camp to be that involved. I mean, I know that the takeaway is how do you drop that deep ball, but <laughs> getting the deep ball is a good thing. That, that was that, I love that that was his first NFL play because that was Christian <laughs> Watson in college. He's big, fast. To, you know, he can get open deep, but his hands are horrible. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, the backfield I mentioned, like Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon, both got plenty of use in week one. I think we'll see plenty of that going forward. I think they're both squarely in starter territory for week two and probably beyond. Yeah. Good, good spot for both. And they're both fantasy starters. Obviously I, I would not be surprised though, if AJ Dillon outscores Aaron Jones this season, especially in like half PPR or not PPR, it do, you know, it does look like Jones, you know, Jones still easily ran more pass routes than Dillon. Um, but you know, Dylan had more carries that the snaps were, were pretty close. And Dylan looks like the primary goal line back at this point for the Packers, which is big. Yeah. I do think that certainly within the range of outcomes is the possibility of Dylan outscoring Jones with them playing the whole season. And that was really why I wasn't buying Aaron Jones yeah. in round two, but if you have either guy, you have to like how much green Bay needs both of them and their 10 point favorites here. So that certainly favors right. their usage on the bears side. You know, like we said with the 49ers, we'll see what we can draw from that week one. Probably not a whole lot. I've seen a surprising yeah. number of people, though, give up on Cole Komet already and wonder whether it's time to dump Darnell Mooney for something on waivers. <laughs> I would say not dumping either of those guys outright in most cases. And then we'll see just how usable they are going forward. We're, we're just we're not going to get 17 pass attempt games yeah. from Justin Fields probably again this season. Yeah, again, you know, throw, throw out the box score from that game with the weather conditions, you can still, you should still look at the usage and Darnell Mooney ran a pass route on 96% of the pass. I would, I would not drop Darnell Mooney in any league, like even like an eight team league. I think he should still be roster. I think he's going to be fine. Um, Cole Komet, you know, 71% route rate. That's not horrible, but you know, a, what I think is a mediocre talent on a bad offense. Like he, he's going to need to live on volume and a 71% route rate. Isn't great. So I'm, I'm definitely no more optimistic on Komet now than I was prior to week one. Yeah, it's not horrible, but it's certainly not good. So right, exactly. <laughs> it was a negative. You don't want to use him this week if you can help it, but I wouldn't just dump him for Taysom Hill, for example. Right. <laughs> um, Darnell Mooney, by the way, has played Green Bay four times over the past three years, and three years, two years. He had one really good game in week 17, uh, two seasons ago, 11 catches, 93 yards. Otherwise, pretty quiet. He had one catch and five catches in two meetings last year, and the five-catch game came, came on eight targets. So don't be surprised if he struggles a little bit here. This is also a Green Bay defense that was missing Jair Alexander for both of those meetings last year and does have him back as the number one corner. Now, we saw last week that Green Bay apparently didn't want Jair Alexander covering <laughs> Justin Jefferson, so maybe – they are just allergic to having him play the top receiver for the other team. But I would assume that he'll be on Darnell Mooney a little bit more in this game and wouldn't be surprised if Darnell Mooney has a quiet game here. Yeah, the Packers pass defense looked lost in week one, so we'll, we'll see if they can 
get things figured out. Um, but just with Justin Fields, you like the 11 carries for him in week one. Seven of them were designed runs. So it does look like this new coaching staff is going to take better advantage of his, his rushing ability. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, the backfield, it was David Montgomery was still in charge. He was outproduced on an efficiency level by Khalil Herbert, but I'm going to need to see a lot more touches from Khalil Herbert before I, I don't know, believe that anything's changing here. Yeah. Um, Herbert was better in PFF rushing grades than Montgomery was. Herbert also got both carries inside the five yard line. I don't know if that was like a plan or just kind of happened to go that way. We'll keep an eye on that. I do think Montgomery is safe as, as the pass catching back here because he's you know, a much better pass catcher than Herbert is. Mm-hmm. So her stash Herbert, but don't yep. uh, go into week two expecting us to see a whole bunch more touches going his way yep. instead. Monday night, we got a doubleheader this week, and not really even a doubleheader because they overlap for some reason. It's more like a Monday night Venn diagram. We got the Titans at the Bills to start things off. Bills by 10 in this one. And Jared, we saw Derrick Henry beat up the Bills last year. Should we expect something like that this year? I don't think so. I mean, well, he had 143 yards and three touchdowns in that game. That was a was that a Thursday nighter? It was, it was a primetime game. Um, it might have been like a two. I, I don't know. I forget. Ah, yeah. Was that one of that was one of the COVID games? I think you're right. Yeah. So. Uh, I mean, Henry, 3.9 yards per carry in the opener, um, just 28th among 50 qualifying backs in PFF's elusive rating. So I came into the season kind of, you know, wondering if, you know, we started to see a decline from Henry and, you know, don't feel great about him coming out of week one. Again, this Bill's defense, I think, is just awesome. And you got to worry about game script for Derrick Henry. You're not benching him, obviously, but, you know, he is, you know, sitting like, you know, right around uh, RB 10 or 12 in our rankings this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, on the passing side for Tennessee, uh, if you were somebody that was talking about Kyle Phillips in podcasts over the summer, it was an encouraging uh, debut. But I don't think there's really a whole lot to take usage wise from that whole pass offense because I don't know. It, Kyle Phillips looked good. I think he'll stay involved, mm-hmm. but they're going to spread things around with all those guys. My biggest takeaway was being disappointed that Robert Woods didn't get yeah. more at any point in that game. So I would prefer to not be using any of those Titans pass catchers at all right now. Yeah, me too. You know, Woods did lead in pass routes at 77%, but the fact that he did and, you know, did nothing in the box score and you know, he is still coming off the ACL. Maybe he's not a hundred percent yet. Um, but yeah, definitely don't want to use Woods, you know, Phillips, the you know, 27% target share that that's impressive. Um, you know, the playing time was just okay. It's well minor that. And then, you know, Traylon Burks kind of, as we expected was fourth in line, in snaps behind Woods, Phillips, and Nick Westbrook, Akine. But I like the fact that Burks drew five targets on his 14 pass routes and, you know, looked pretty good in the process. So, you know, he, that was an encouraging opener for Traylon Burks to me. He's not usable in week two, but um, I would expect his playing time to kind of grow from here. Yeah. And even though his playing time trailed the other guys, he was involved from early on. His first target came on the first possession. He got an end zone target. He got a deep target. So he was involved and it's encouraging, you know, compared with what we saw from the summer, which was coming along a little bit more slowly than we thought for sure. Um, on the Buffalo side, there's not really a whole lot to talk about. If you're considering these guys use them, right? Yeah. For the most part, I mean, the backfield I think is messy kind of as we expected, um, you know, even in a blowout win with lots of points on Thursday, like, you know, neither Devin Singletary nor, Zach Moss were, were useful. And I, I still think James Cook's going to get involved. Like it might not happen this week because he fumbled on his first touch on Thursday night. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, it might be a three-way committee at some point. I still think Singletary is the, the best bet, but he's, you know, like barely an RB three. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Anything else from the Buffalo side? Nope. Um, the other Monday night game, Minnesota Vikings <laughs> at Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles by two in this one, over under 50 and a half. And I mean, kind of similar to Titans bills in that if you have them use them, but here it's even more for both sides. I mean, every, yeah. things couldn't have gone any better for the Vikings in week one. And for Philly, things couldn't have gone better for the primary guys, AJ Brown, Jalen hurts. It could have actually mm-hmm. gone better, but it was still a good game yeah. for him. Even without any touchdown passes went well for miles Sanders, basically like any guy that you were hoping to see positive things from besides Devonte Smith, um, things went well in week one. Yeah, I guess in this game, besides Devontae Smith and, and Adam Thielen, um, but, you know, Thielen ran her out on every single drop back in week one. Devontae Smith was at a 98% route rate. Like, you know, I, I think those guys are going to be okay. And the fact that both these offenses, both these passing games looked as, as good as they did in week one is encouraging. Um, so, you know, Thielen, I think you stick with it as, as a wide receiver three. Devontae Smith's a bit lower in the rankings. But again, I think Smith's going to have – big games you know AJ Brown's not going to see 40 percent of the targets every game like he did in week one yeah I would say between them I'm more worried about Devontae Smith than I am Adam Thielen I guess primarily because we have a longer record of watching Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen play together I it sure looked like Jalen Hurts was always looking for AJ Brown I agree (laughs) that the target share is not going to stay where it was in week one but yeah. I also wonder if this team is not going to, you know, go 56 plus percent pass and be able to support multiple targets um, on, on a regular basis. And I don't think that it's going to be an offense that, you know, one week it's Devontae Smith week and one week it's AJ Brown week. I, I just think Devontae Smith's too good to not be a big part of the passing game, like to do what he did in college, be a first round pick, do what he did as a rookie. Um and Eagles, by the way, third in situation neutral pace in week one and 15th in neutral pass rate, which, is, you know, that's not where they were at the start of last season, but it's not where they were at the end. It's kind of like right in the middle, which I think is probably a, a pretty good projection for them the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Miles Sanders was encouraging in his production week one, found the end zone, which is something we weren't sure he was still yeah. capable of doing. Also still shared work with the guys. So you want to be encouraged by what happened in week one, but just don't overrate it. Cause it was still not a huge workload day. Yeah. I, I thought it was an encouraging game for Sanders. Like you said, three man committee, which we expected, but Sanders leads in snaps Stan- Sanders leads in pass routes, which I, you know, I kind of thought that might be Kenneth Gainwell. And then Sanders also um, two of the team's six carries inside the five. It was two for miles Sanders, two for Jalen hurts, one for Boston Scott, one for Kenneth Gainwell. So if Sanders, if he's splitting all that stuff, but he's the leader in all three of them, you know, on what's going to be a good offense behind a great old line. Like, you know, he can be at least a weekly running back three or flex play. Yeah. It's similar. Like we said to Clyde Edwards, Lair, except mm-hmm. CEH gets the edge because his quarterback is not also a goal linebacker. Yes, exactly. Um, anybody that we missed from this game. I mean, I don't think that there were any real fringe players oh. on the Minnesota side. Um, Irv, Irv Smith, who, ran fewer pass routes than Johnny Munt in week one. And I, I assumed it was because he was coming off the, it was a thumb surgery. Right. Um, but then Kevin O'Connell said on like Tuesday that it was a game plan thing. And like, they're just, you know, they're going to have different playing time for these guys based on the opponent. So that, that makes Irv Smith, you know, definitely not trustable in week two. And you know, if that's really going to be the case all year, he, he might not be someone we can count on at all. Yeah, that's somebody that you can, you know, consider dropping in certain situations this week, depending on who's available. Still not somebody that I would 
dump for Taysom Hill. But, yes. you know, there are situations where people are considering any number of uh, tight ends as a backup or a platoon member. Uh, Smith's the kind of guy that I would be OK with dropping because I don't think big things are coming. Agreed. Well, that's going to do it for this week two preview edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com. You can see exactly how we rank all these guys, either by position or at flex. If you're trying to decide between running back, wide receiver, tight end, we got all those guys put together in the flex rankings. We've got our who should I start tool in case you want to type in specific players and not do the searching through those rankings. There's also the my team view, which takes the uh, point system and lineup controls that you put in and tells you specifically who to start for your league. I know it's important for me in setting all my teams before those kickoffs start to see exactly who I should be starting in that specific league. Check the notes for this podcast wherever you are taking it in. You can see links to Underdog. You can see a link to Sleeper where you can join us to play the over-under games. Hit that link. You will get a promo code. You will get your first deposit matched up to 100 bucks on both Underdog and Sleeper. So we want to play you there. And we can all win money together there. That's the biggest thing. So for Jared Smola, the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Shaw saying thanks so much for swimming with us.